It is your money. Hello and welcome to the show. Reminding you right out of the gates, if you have a financial question for our guest today, you can call this number 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and that is 1-888-6-ADVICE. You can also email your questions to your money at wealthenhancement.com. For the next hour, though, it's 651-461-9226. Here now is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and the founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Hello to both of you. Good morning, Susie. Good morning, Bruce. Hi, Peg. Thank you, Susie Jones. Love the Always love your introductions. Uh, hey, Susie, yeah. today Peg and I are going to talk about something. You know, all year we've been talking about inflation, and rightly so. And this show has always tried to talk about smart financial principles and practices that are always good ideas. But in a year where people are really feeling the pinch and their money isn't going as far and they and they groan when they pull into the pump and they groan when they buy groceries at the grocery store, all these things become even more important if you can get a better return on investment or if you can reduce your taxes. But today, this holiday season, and I know uh, Black Friday and Cyber Monday are already in our rearview mirror, but a lot of people, myself included, are doing Christmas shopping probably right up until December 25th. And Peg and I have got some ideas today on how to avoid holiday spending, spending more than you should. It's great that you're a generous person. It's admirable, and I know all of our listeners are. But the last thing you want to have happen is spend so much on the holidays, and then you get that credit card statement in January, and you can't pay the balance. Now you start adding interest costs to this inflation full year that you've just gone through. So we really want to help people try to avoid that. Peg, you've got some great ideas. Uh, Why don't you get us started? Yes, I'd love to. And one of the things I didn't realize, Bruce and Susie, is that there's $600 billion spent in 2021 on the holidays and gifts and things like that. I mean, I would have never guessed if you asked me how much money is just going in circles here during um, the holidays. It's just a huge number. And in comparison to that, the back to school is $72 billion. So, I mean, it's just a, uh, a time that these retailers make pretty much all their profits Um, in these couple last months of the year. So we've done this show before, and I think the principles are very much the same. But when I was going through the outline, I just was reminiscing about the last couple years, right? We weren't all able to get together. And I would probably say I spent less when we didn't go to all these parties and, and, you know, bring something and maybe want to see the expressions on our family and friends' faces when they, you know, opened a gift from us. So in talking to people this year, especially my family, which I was just with yesterday for my mother's 85th birthday, all of us were together, I kind of was asking people in anticipation of this show today is, you know, what are you, what are you thinking? What are you doing? Well, their answer was they're actually spending a little bit more. And we're seeing that across the board that this year, because they're going to be going to these parties and seeing people um, in person. I know that wasn't on the outline, but it's, I want to just have that as a basis for start. So when you're thinking about making a list, now, this is funny. I had to pull out my folder because I have Christmas giving 
year by year, and this folder goes back to 2009. So the and I know it should probably be on the computer, but it's not. It's in a physical folder. I know exactly <laughs> what I gave everyone um, th- through today, through 2009, um, and and it helps me because I personally do make a list of everybody that I want to give to and start thinking of ideas early on. Now, I may not write them down, and I bet there's a lot of listeners out there that are like me, in that you walk around thinking about it, oh, so-and-so would probably like this, or so-and-so would like that. And then finally, what I'll do is, I haven't written anything down yet, confession, but I have lots of ideas in my head, and I'll be able to just sit down and go, okay, I have to go get this. I have to go contact somebody for this. Um, But Part of what I'm saying here, Bruce, too, is there's just such a, it's an emotional time, right? I'm already excited about this season. I mean, we have snow in Minnesota. It sets the tone for, um, you know, people getting together, and I'm already going to luncheons and happy hours with people. And so I see the the pulse out there just being, hey, I think we're kind of back to, to normal. So when you're making this list, you have to consider your entire budget for the Christmas holiday. And that includes the gifts you want to give people, maybe the travel costs. That's another one, Bruce, where people are flying places again, right? And so the cost of travel is up as we talked about inflation. You know, what are you going to do once you get to the place? Do you have a, a hotel, motel? Are you staying with family? Maybe you want to live the, uh, leave them a little gift for their hospitality. So that all takes organization and a list. And so one of the things that I think is the best idea is to write everything possible down that, that you would spend money on. And quite frankly, Bruce, I think it's a little late for 2022. I mean, I probably will say a couple times in this show that you should already be thinking about 2023, you know, so at this point, I Yeah, I feel like people are going to maybe feel um, a little rushed because if you haven't planned on anything, then you go and you just go buy whatever you think is something that they'll like, even if it costs twice as much, you're willing to do it just to cross that kind of off your list. Bruce? Well, Peg, as is so often the case, I'm just impressed with what you said because as, as, as Peg referenced, and we often mention on the show, we have a basic outline that we come with we, to do the show. And then sometimes, you know, whatever thoughts we have, you know, take us in different directions. But we have a basic premise of things that we want to talk about. And Peg deviated right away, and, and, and brilliantly, I might add, Peg, because I think you hit the nail on the head. I think impulse spending is going to be way higher if you're actually seeing people and you're doing things, because you, 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 you maybe had your budget and you had your list, but then you're going to see so-and-so that you haven't seen in a couple of years, and you see a gift online or in a store, and you go, oh, my gosh, she would just love that. That would be perfect for her. And you go buy something that wasn't part of your list and wasn't part of your budget. I also love how you extended beyond just the, the, the expenses for buying gifts. Yeah. You you do a lot of this, Peg. I know you do. Lunches with friends, uh, have a glass of wine with friends. 
all these costs add up. And then when you go to these little gatherings, you probably feel a compulsion to pick up a little gift for all the people you're going to be seeing. So when you, when you talk about your holiday budget, you're right. You got, you have to think of everything, not just what you're going to spend on gifts, but, but eating, dining out, travel costs, all those things all add up. And it's pretty before you know it, it's very, very easy to exceed the budget you thought you had. Yeah, and another thing I can add here is um, charitable giving. You know, a couple of uh, friends of mine were doing the Salvation Army ringing the bell yesterday, even though it was like five degrees. They're out there ringing the bell. And and that actually is just kind of a impulse, too. When you walk by the Salvation Army, you want to give. And so that all comes into the the budget. So I hate the word budget, but it's more how much can you afford And um, I would say when people are thinking about their budget this year, uh, because this inflation, Bruce, is quite new to us, and I think it's hard to anticipate what things are going to cost, let's say, next year, because we're starting to see things cost more, you know, food and, um, and travel, airline tickets and things, but there might be some hidden things out there yet that we haven't really felt that are going to cost us more money. So um, one of the things that I was thinking like for your budget and how much can you afford, I'm actually leaning more towards experiences this year. Like what could I give that would be a year long experience? You know, um, let's say a, a gift of going to the, um, the zoo and going, giving that to a family, and then they can enjoy that all year long versus maybe just a tangible gift that they're delighted to get, but yet maybe a month from now it's sitting in the corner and they never actually really did use it. So my theme for this year and for whatever that's worth is more about experiences. And I think I, I'm thinking that way once again because of COVID. We haven't been able to get together with all family and friends and especially extended family, aunts and uncles, um, you know, that are older. And, and so that's my theme uh, for this year. Bruce? You know, again, <laughs> people listening probably get tired of me always complimenting you, but I think you brought this up last year, and I remember when you did um, how how profoundly impressed I was, and I am again, and I'd kind of forgotten about that. You're right, Peg. The, the things that we get, the stuff, gets forgotten. It gets lost. It gets put away. It gets broken. It, it doesn't last forever, and it's not in your mind, but an experience, a memory, so a, a day that you enjoyed something or a week, whatever that experience is, that stays with us forever. Now, I'm not, I'm not exactly sure how you build those experiences, so I, I mean, if you can elaborate on that, I, I would appreciate it. Listeners probably would, too. And when you say experiences, it may be, a trip or something that you pay for that costs more than, than a gift would? Because again, and I want to come back, because we, we talked about making a list, which I think is great advice, and we talk about having a budget, which I think is great advice. But how do people know how much they can afford? How do you, how do you set a budget? I know there's kind of a rule of thumb number that says 1.5% of your annual income. So to make the math easy, if you're someone or a family that makes $100,000 a year, you shouldn't spend more than 
1500 on holiday spending. Um, that, that, like all rules of thumb, that probably applies to some people, but not all people. If you're a lower-income person, you probably can't afford as high as 1.5%. So you have to... You, you have to be with, you know, reasonable for your income. But how do you create that? I love the idea of this experience. I think it's brilliant. But what are some ideas that you have of how does one go about doing that? Yeah, and I'm so glad you brought that up, Bruce, because I think the budget that you had for 2022, you have to pull that out now, right? And see, you know, were you on track? Did you overspend in 2022 already? And I know one and a half percent, that sounds reasonable, um, but is that reality in your household? So what I mean by that is, if you went to, and you looked at your budget and you've already overspent, does that mean no one's getting gifts? Well, maybe they're not getting as expensive of gifts. And when I talk about um, experiences, let me give you an example. So if I call someone and say, I want to have lunch with you, and, you, and then they're expecting to pay their half, I'll just say, hey, you know, um, this is your holiday gift, and I pick up the tab or something like that. So it can be more of a spontaneous where you don't have to have it all listed, you know, to the nth degree at this point, but you know that you're going to have some experiences that you're going to pay for that you could put in a miscellaneous category. Now, I know this is very hard at this point in time because, believe it or not, we only have two weeks before we're going to see everybody and we're going to be handing out gifts. And some and some gifts I'm already handing out, you know, next weekend. So um, I'm a budget person. I'm a person who tracks things. Um, and I feel very fortunate so I, I, the experience part that I'm saying is, is if you give a gift of something that's ongoing, my thought is maybe they'll invite you. Like maybe you're buying them a series of tickets that are two tickets or four tickets, and maybe they'll say, hey, I, I, you know, I'm going to ask Peg if she wants to come with on this particular one. That's more so getting together with people, Bruce, than just having a tangible thing. Now, how do you pay for all that, right? Do you pay for it with credit cards? No, try not to, because, it, I mean, it's expensive. So we're already talking about things costing more. We don't want to have to pay, you know, double-digit interest rates now for on top of that gift. So mostly people use debit cards. You know, they, they know what they have in their checking, and they, and they use debit cards. But um, cash is very prevalent right now, too, and people are conscientious because things are are costing more. So there's a convenience of using your credit card. And if you pay it off every month, that's a-okay. But don't use that tool, if you will, to allow yourself to spend more than you would have thinking that, oh, I'll pay that off over time. Bruce? Yeah, the other idea I've heard, and, I, and I'm thinking that you said it, but maybe maybe it wasn't you. Maybe it was, I don't, I don't remember where I got it. But the idea that whatever you're going to uh, spend during the holidays, you, you figure all this out, you make your list, you check it twice, you make your budget, and then that number, you take that cash and put it in an envelope, and you pay for everything with cash, and when the envelope's empty, you shouldn't spend anymore. And then you get into, oh, gosh, there's people I still didn't get gifts for yet, now what do I do? But you can count the money along the way and, and, and pace yourself um, to the idea of credit versus debit, I, I like what you said, Peg, that debit, you know you've got the money there. 
credit, you might not. And if you can't pay the balance, now you're paying interest. But I still worry, even with a debit card, that just because people have got money in the bank doesn't mean that that money was allocated for holiday expenses. They, they still could overspend, and they still have to be aware of their budget. And, and, and I don't mind credit cards at all as long as you pay the balance. That's, that's, if you don't pay the balance, that's a big no-no. So I guess it's up to, you know, it still comes back to staying within your means, staying within your budget, no, no matter what methodology you use. But was that you that had the cash in an envelope idea? Where do I remember that from? Well, this is a real story about um, my my husband Mike and I. In our early years, we uh, were we had to be on a budget, and we put the my husband it was his idea put the money in the envelope, and then we would each kind of pull out of that envelope. And when it was gone, it was gone. I mean, that was our money for the month, and it actually really worked for us at the time. And so, I highly encourage uh, people to try that. And Bruce, I know that we're kind of running against the clock here, so I thought maybe we'd leave our last point of shopping for what you value on the back side of the show. Oh, okay. Um, yeah, so um, I think we've got about three or four minutes yet, but um, I'm just trying to think what else. Um, oh, we talked I'm sorry. About making... I'm sorry. Yeah, no, I'm sorry. Right. I looked at the yeah, I looked like the six and the nine got um, screwed up. So let me start that. Stop, shop for what you value. Three yeah, out of four thanks. consumers. Yeah, three out of four consumers wait until the last weekend in November for the best deals, according to this PWC holiday um, outlook survey. We're not convinced that the, that you get that many better bargains um, that way. It, it it sometimes when you wait and wait and wait and you're trying to wait for that perfect price it can actually go up because if it's something that's real popular in the season and, and you happen to be the last to buy it. Um, so, you know, keep your holiday list on your phone. I would highly recommend shopping for deals. I'm an online shopper. And the reason I have to be an online shopper is because if I go to the stores, it's usually one for them and one for me. Because once I, start, <laughs> once I start seeing things in person, I oh, my gosh, that's beautiful. Oh, I'll get myself one. That's a great price. So um, I tend to stick with my plan when I go online and buy the things um, for my, my list, Bruce. Well, and I also think um, people that are, you know, that are, thoughtful and are planning and thinking ahead, they are the ones shopping on Black Friday and Cyber Monday. So they are probably the ones that are doing well. The people that that probably don't stick to the budget are those like me that haven't started their Christmas shopping yet. And now, you know, before you know it, it's going to be December 20th and you still have all these things and all these people that you haven't thought of or addressed yet. That's what gets you into trouble. So again, part of this is, is planning, but I think those people that, uh, that are smart enough to do their shopping on Cyber Monday and Black Friday, they're not the ones that we're talking to. We're talking to the procrastinators that wait to the last minute. Okay, now we've got a little less than two minutes. You want to you wanna put a bow on this thing or give uh, listeners some key takeaways before we go to break? Well, one thing I wanted to mention is um, your, your love for uh, gift cards. And so remember that drives me crazy when people <laughs> give gift cards instead of giving some kind of a gift that, and I know some people are really hard, but um, the other things are uh, consider shopping locally, you know, um, 
versus national retailers. And then, um, you know, just if you are, some people are very crafty and make things, you know, for others, which goes a long way too and, and can be cheaper, but it's getting a little late for that too. So as far as highlights, um, I just feel like this show was just to make you aware of making sure that you have a budget and that you're kind of sticking to it and not to use credit cards. Yeah, and Susie, I'll throw it back to you. But sure. after we come back from the break, I just want to really quickly um, redefine my position on gift cards because Peg and I have this <laughs> debate every year. And it's not that I love gift cards. Don't don't get me wrong, Peg. I love your your idea you you're so creative you can come up with things but for idiots like me gift cards are sometimes just the best cop out and the best i can do but Susie, i know we're due for a break and then after the break uh, we'll let listeners drive the show that sounds great and again if you are listening you can call 651-461-9226 for the next half hour again that number is 651-461-9226 you can text us a question but we'd also really love to talk to you over the air that number 651-461-9226 Welcome back to the second half of Your Money, reminding you you can call if you have a question 24 hours a day, seven days a week, one eight 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 six advice You can write that down for later. You can also email your questions to yourmoney at wealthenhancement.com. Right now, though, you can actually pick up your phone and call 651-461-9226. Now here, once again, is Senior Vice President and Financial Advisor Peg Webb and founder of Wealth Enhancement Group and Financial Advisor Bruce Helmer. Welcome back. Thank you, Susie Jones. Hey, uh, we'll get uh, we'll get the listeners with uh, calls and texts. I hope, but uh, Peg, you wanted to uh, you wanted to talk about the Wealth Enhancement Group website real quick. I did. Um, we talked about it, Bruce, when you were gone a couple weeks ago, and we're kind of forgetting to let people know that if you go to wealthenhancementgroup.com, no, wealthenhancement.com, wealthenhancement.com, and then you click on Insights, which is at the top of the website. Then you'll see all of our radio shows. So the past just had a client this week say, hey, I missed that show last week. I directed him to this uh, site. It's on our shows are on a day or two afterwards. And then also we're having a lot of events and webinars. So webinars are popular. We just posted our investment recap. Jim Kahn, who is the uh, head of our investment management department, just did a webinar on the markets and our anticipation of where they're headed for 2023. And then also, we uh, Nicole Webb just did a recent workshop webinar on Roth conversions, and there's still time to do those. So if you want to educate yourself a little bit more on Roth conversions, and maybe if that applies to you, then you can go see that webinar on our website, wealthenhancement.com, under Insights. Bruce? Uh, no, that, I'm, I'm glad you did that because uh, we probably don't talk about that as often as we should. Uh, to listeners uh, that, that have been with us, thank you for hanging in there. If you joined us late, Peg and I talked about avoiding holiday spending, but Susie tells me we've we've got a caller. Let's uh, Susie, let's let the caller take us where he he or she wants to go. Well, she Debbie is calling from Ham Lake with a question or a comment. Hi, Deb. Thanks for calling in today. Hi. Hey, good morning, Bruce and Peg. Thanks for taking my call. Um, I got a question. Next year, I'm getting ready for retirement. Um, I'm 61, but my current 401k at my company 
had the Roth um, come up a few years ago, so I've been contributing to that. But recently I've been kind of hearing things that the for, uh, the Roth 401k is different than the Roth um, IRAs that I have, you know, separately in some other accounts. Can you tell me, is there like RMDs associated with my Roth 401 or is there, I guess, what, what the difference is? Cause that could be explained a little. Hey, Debbie, thank you for listening. And uh, listeners, uh, just like Debbie did, even though we talked about avoiding holiday overspending, we want any and all financial questions. And Peg, Debbie's is a good one. So um, I'll let you go first. Let's, let's get into a discussion about IRA, traditional IRA and Roth IRA and traditional 401k and Roth 401k, and then what you do with those company retirement plans when you retire or separate service and go to a different job, there's a lot of options, and this can get really confusing for people that don't deal with this every day. Peg? Yeah, so congratulations. Um, I, I'm excited for you at a, at a young age to be able to retire, so that's exciting. When you're considering your traditional and your Roth within your 401k plan, um, both of those are, you could either Keep those at your employer a lot of times, depending on what the balances of those are, or you can tra- you can transfer those to an um, independent custodian. Um, you can hire a financial firm to help you with um, management of that or help you with distribution planning, that kind of thing. But what I want to talk about today is your direct question was, the portion that is a Roth 401k, you're absolutely correct in that there are differences between a traditional Roth, a contributory Roth that you qualified for to put your money in versus a Roth 401k. But the real differences there are in the distributions that you can take out. So being 61, those won't apply to you. This is for like younger people that are under 59 and a half. The availability to that Roth is harder to access through a Roth 401k than an independent one. Because of that, we encourage our clients to contribute the tax deductible portion or the traditional portion of their 401k um, and then go open their own Roth if they qualify, then come back to um, the company plan and either do a Roth or a deductible um, with that. But with your Roth 401k and how it relates to required minimum distributions. So when you turn 72, then you as a Roth owner do not have to take any required minimum distributions, but your beneficiary does. So when your beneficiary Um, gets that Roth. I know it's still tax-free for those beneficiaries, but the IRS mandates that they take out a percentage each year because they just don't want the power of compounding tax-free to go on generation to generation to generation like the Rockefellers, right? So that's the rule as as it relates to that. Bruce? Yeah, that's really good. I can't add much to that, uh, Debbie. Um, you know, the, again, the, I, I was one of the people, Peg, that when I first learned that the beneficiaries do have to take withdrawals on a Roth, I thought, 
why does the government even care? They're not going to collect any taxes. But you, you addressed that really, really well. But the other thing is, on a Roth, because there are no taxes, so what if you have to withdraw? You probably want to. You know, there's probably a lot of people, when they inherit a traditional IRA, they would like to take that money and use it for lifestyle. And the reason they don't take it all in, say, a lump sum is because if they take all that income in a single year, it throws up you know, to a higher tax bracket and they pay way more taxes. So to, to reduce taxes, they'll logically um, spread those withdrawals over a number of years, uh, which, which makes economic sense. But again, you only do that because of the tax liability. If you didn't have any tax liability, most people would probably take it all out at once and either spend it or use it for lifestyle or reinvest it somewhere else or a combination of both. And then also, this wasn't, uh, Debbie, your direct question, but you mentioned you're approaching retirement and you have these retirement plans. When you separate service, when you retire, do a thorough analysis of the plans. And and at, at your age, over the age of 59 and a half specifically, there's a lot of reasons why you might want to consider converting those accounts to a, 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 a traditional IRA and a traditional Roth IRA. There might be some arguments for leaving it in the plan, but the biggest reason, and, Pe- and Peg will elaborate on this because she feels very passionately and very strongly about it, when you have a corporate plan, even if it's a really good plan, and the corporation has a certain amount of control over your money, they can do things, they can have, they can change custodians, they can limit your access, they can have what they call freezes or blackout periods. It's their plan and they can control it. Now, if you work there, that's a small price to pay for all the benefits that you get from the plan. But if you don't work there anymore, why would you give some corporate entity that you're not even involved with anymore control over your money? So that's arguably the biggest reason why you'd want to move it to an individual retirement account or or a Roth IRA, but there might be other reasons as well. Peg, do you want to jump in on that, or is that good enough? No, I'll I'll mention one thing is um, because a lot of times when people come to us and interview us as being a potential um, advisory firm for them, uh, they have 401ks. And, And a lot of times the reason that people don't like the idea of moving that 401k is because they believe that their 401k is the most cost effective place that they can have it. And so we educate our clients not only on costs, but choices of of availability of, you know, the different options that you have in there. And then with Wealth Enhancement Group, because we're comprehensive planners, you know, usually people are looking for help to manage their money, but yet they don't, they have to see the value in also the additional services like the comprehensive planning, the distribution, sending you a paycheck for the rest of your life. And then a lot of times, Bruce, people will say, well, I get all of that, you know, for repositioning my um, company plan over to a company like yours. So I just wanted to bring up costs because a lot of times people feel like, oh, that's the cheapest thing to do. But is it because what what could you have? What value could be added with your um, money being managed by a professional firm and getting comprehensive advice on all of your planning, Bruce? 
Cost is only an issue in the absence of value. I want to say that again. Cost is only an issue in the absence of value. Yes, we want to keep our costs low, but there are many examples that, that you could think of, listeners, of something costing less that you would never do. Um, you would, you would, you maybe have a nice home. You wouldn't move to a one-bedroom apartment just because it's cheaper. Um, you know, so in in the case of a company retirement plan, that might be quote unquote cheaper than moving it to an IRA managed by a professional financial money manager or financial advisor. But for that extra cost. Will they enhance the gross return and give you a better net-net? Now, chances are good that if you hire someone good, that will happen. But to Peg's point, let's say it doesn't. Let's say you, you, you moved half of your money out of your company retirement plan, and after five years, the half that you kept in the plan and the half that you gave to a professional, the, the values are exactly the same. And you say, well, I didn't gain anything going to a professional. But what else did you get from that professional? Did you get future value forecasting? Did you get retirement income planning? Did you get Roth conversion analysis? Did you get pension analysis? Did you get answers to technical questions, tax reduction strategies? All the other things that Peg talked about that are subsets of comprehensive financial planning, all those things add value. Now, sometimes that value can't be quantified, if I ask a client, I might say, how did we help you? And they might say, I sleep better at night. Uh, you simplified my life. I have more time to pursue my retirement passions, travel, hunting, fishing, golfing, spending time with grandkids or whatever. So it's hard to put a price tag on that, but certainly there's a value. Sometimes you can quantify. Sometimes you can say, look, this tax strategy that we demonstrated to you saved you X thousand dollars in taxes this year. Isn't that great? So the planning that you get has to be factored into what do I get for my cost? And just because it's cheaper doesn't mean it's better. That's not only true in financial advisory. That's true in life. And, and everyone, if they think about it logically, knows that's true. Peg, anything else or should we move on? Let's move on. All right, that's my cue. You have a number of texts coming in to you both today. We'll start with this one. Thank you for your awesome show. My wife and I are retired and have our Roth and IRA in two different money management firms. We're thinking about using the same company to manage our IRA Roth. Is it ever a good idea to use the same money management firm for both? Oh, wow, what a great text question. So, Peg, you know... I, I want you to I want you to take the bulk of this, but well, I, I, you go first. I, I have one thought, but uh, I'll see if you say the same thing I'm thinking. Yeah. So the question is: Is it advantageous or is it a disadvantage to um, have all your money with one money manager? Well, we have to just define that because um, one of the things uh, I could speak for Wealth Enhancement Group, uh, we work with several custodians. And what I mean by that is um, some that you'd recognize as Schwab and Fidelity and, and et cetera. Well, we use those custodians, so not all your money was with the same custodian, although it could be. You know, I'm confident enough that some of the big firms out there um, are, are safe and, and do a great job. 
I, I don't, I, I like the fact that you're with one financial advisor. You know, I want to turn to that right away because when you're a comprehensive planner like we are, um, and I talked to a person the other day and truly tried to explain this to this person is because the person was having utmost confidence, Bruce, in making isolated decisions like, should I turn on my Social Security? Should I spend my Roth money? Should I spend my traditional IRA money that's um, taxed? How much should I create a paycheck? They had real confidence in just making isolated decisions about what those dollar amounts should be. But my comment was, in making that one decision, do you understand how much that ripples in your entire comprehensive plan? And the person looked at me and said, what are you talking about? And I said, well, if you start taking money or you take your Social Security early, you know, that actually is going to be taxable and that won't allow you to have some of these other benefits like maybe lower health care costs or um, being able to do Roth conversions now. You know, so there's lots of things that ripple inside of your plan that people don't think about. So that ties back now to do you have one custodian or do you have two custodians? My comment is I believe in one financial advisor that can get your arms around your entire financial picture and what's important to you versus caring about how many custodians you have. Bruce? Yeah, that was really good, and I'm glad I let you go first because you did go down a slightly different road. So, Peg, a lot of times people tell me they want to have more than one advisor because they want to make sure that they're diversified. And they don't understand, and I try to explain, you can be with one advisor and have greater diversification maybe than if you had several advisors. And I've actually seen people before when they come in for the first time that think they're diversified and they show me their portfolio and they say, see, I've got 20 different funds. And I look at it, but all the funds are of the same investment objective. They're, you know, maybe they're all large cap growth funds. Well, that's not diversification. Um, so sometimes being with multiple advisors may actually be detrimental to your diversification. Having said that, I also tell people, look, and I know this is a, you know, a pretty good percentage of my clients. We don't have all the money here. And I tell people, look, if you feel better not having all of your money in, in one place, I'm not going to tell you that to work here, you have to give us all of your money. You can work with us without doing that. But you do have to tell me what you're doing elsewhere, because if I don't know the big picture, it may impact my ability to give you the best possible advice. So, yes, I know I've got clients with more than one advisor, and that's fine if they, that's what they want to do. But, Peg, I totally agree with you. I think they're better off uh, just having one advisor. And even if it's not us, if it's, if it's us and someone else and you go somewhere else, you're probably better off with just one. I hope you pick us, but if you don't, I think most people are going to uh, be better if they're not you know, muddying the waters and getting potentially conflicting advice. Susie, do we have time for one more? I think so. Uh, we had a couple people just quickly weigh in about holiday spending. This person says, remember to use your reward points that accumulate. That's a nice idea. I noticed that the other day. Another one is... Um, 
What do you think about utilizing life insurance as an asset class for retirement? And do you have any carriers that you work with? And we have about two minutes left. Peg, life insurance. (laughs) Um, (laughs) I think it's going to have to be quick, right? Yes. Yeah. So life insurance, I I can't say no to life insurance as part of a client's portfolios. I think there's a time and a place for life insurance. I, um, we do actually use that as part of our asset allocation. You know, if clients have lots of cash build up in life insurance, Mm -hmm. uh, specifically, I'm not against it, but I don't utilize that strategy um, unless there's another reason why I'm buying life insurance within the family dynamics. All right. That's very yeah, good. I agree. I, oh, I'm sorry, Susie. I'll, I'll, I'll wrap it up here. I'll take this home. I agree with Peg. Um, life insurance, they said, I think the texture said asset allocation. Life insurance as you know, one of your investment strategies might make sense when you're young, when you're getting close to retirement or retired, probably not the time to start it. But if you have it, we consider that. We consider the cash value. We consider your desire to, to leave a legacy and, and to have that death benefit. So a lot of people, the life insurance they got in their 30s, they don't need in their 60s, but they might want it anyway to leave kids a bigger legacy. So that, that can be a complicated issue. And then the, I, I'm, I'm glad someone brought up rewards. Peg, I'm horrible at that. I qualify for all these things in various places, and I never act on it. I just ignore it. I'm too lazy to do the work necessary to, to get it. But, but again, for, for people on a budget and, and people fighting inflation, it makes all the sense in the world. I'm just not smart enough to take advantage of it. Do you do that? I do. And I just got one where if I spent this $150, I got a $75 credit at the store and I only have a certain window of five days to spend it. So I had to put that on my calendar so that I remember. (laughs) All right, Susie. Yes. Wonderful. Great show, everyone. Thank you for your calls and your texts. Reminding you, if you didn't get your question answered, you can email it to yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Also, you can call 24 hours a day, seven days a week. That is this number, 1-888-6-ADVICE, 1-888-6-ADVICE, or again, yourmoneyatwealthenhancement.com. Remember to stick to your budget this holiday season so you don't get a headache come January. I'm sure we'll talk more about that in the coming days and weeks. Make it a good one.